So let's pray together. Lord, open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to embrace your word for us today, that through weak human words we may behold your true and living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. They're very familiar words, aren't they? You find them at uh, the end of chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. They're words which over the centuries have ended many a time of worship or a Christian meeting. Words which for some of you, you got hopeful then, didn't you? I thought you thought I'd come to an end. Keith's even, Keith's even started packing up to leave. But I'm only starting with those words because they highlight something. I think all of us are clear when we use the words love and fellowship about what we mean when we are praying that for others, that we may all know and love the fellowship that God brings and and we may all know the love of God. But what about grace? Even if you know, I think it's worth revisiting. I asked a, a close family member who I'm not going to look at what grace means and the answer was wonderful. Because it did sort of sum it up. It says it's got something to do with love and forgiveness. Indeed it does. The word grace we find 150 times in the New Testament. And of those 150, two-thirds of them are the words written by Paul. He uses it more than any other. And it's central to his understanding of the gospel. Without it, the gospel wouldn't make sense. And the Greek word, oh, we do love a Greek word at college, we do. The Greek word that he uses all the way through is charis. I'm not going to tell you how to spell it in Greek, but I can tell you it's the word charis. And it means simply unmerited or undeserved favour. Have you heard the word karma used ever? Oh, that's bad karma. Somebody this week, I read in the paper, said that their daughter in this life was suffering from a premature ageing condition because of bad karma. In other words, something she did in a previous life. And karma means you get what you deserve. You sometimes see examples of what they call instant karma, don't you? When somebody does something bad and instantly they get the payback for it. Grace is the complete opposite of karma. You get precisely the opposite of what you deserve. It's almost as if I've gone up to Keith on a Sunday morning, punched him really hard, smashed his car window, and in response to that, he invites me for tea and cake. It's not what I deserve. And that's what grace is. Paul was a Pharisee, and his roots were firmly in the scripture that we call the Old Testament. He was trained from an early age to understand that. And we see God's generosity in provision and blessing without the deserving of any any of us throughout the story of Israel. Israel constantly failed to live up to its calling. But God never truly or fully abandoned it. He kept on giving and giving with generosity beyond our wildest imaginings. It's what we might call common grace, that. 
God has been generous to us all in all things. Look at the world that we live in. There might be some bits that we're not quite so happy about, usually bits that we've completely messed up. But common grace is the the overwhelming riches of all God's blessings to us. And for Jews like Paul, keeping the law was a grateful response to God's love. And so for him, when he says that it's not by anything but grace that we're saved, that was a powerful statement. A couple of Sundays ago, I was playing the um, piano in a church in Crawley, and I found an old songbook. And I was playing through things like, Jesus loves me, this I know. And and, um, Jesus bids us shine. And another one in there is, um, count your blessings. Do you remember that? Count your blessings. And I think we can all see God's common grace at work in our lives. If we were to start counting our blessings now, we'd still be here next Sunday. And probably a long way beyond that too. Because it's endless. Endless examples celebrating the generosity of God. And for Paul, the greatest gift of grace... The greatest example is found in Jesus Christ, the least of us, that we, we deserve nothing, and yet God gives us everything. Because of his great love for us, in verse 4, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. We certainly don't deserve it. Elsewhere, Paul tells us in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, Have you ever done archery? Um, I've done archery a few times and I absolutely love it. I'm not rich enough or well-disciplined enough to join an archery club because I'm told it's very strict how you have to behave. Um, but archery is great fun, and particularly great fun if you actually hit the target. <laughs> um, it's not quite so good if you don't, but the point is, in archery, the word for missing the target is sin. And that's exactly what sin is. That's what we've done. We've missed the target in our lives because we cannot achieve the standard of God's perfection and holiness in our own strength. And we do quite the opposite most of the time. We just don't deserve what God's done for us. And yet, in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't even wait until we were sort of good. Christ did this for us in our totally undeserving state. And Paul recognises this very much in himself. Saul of Tarsus, persecuting, in open rebellion against Jesus Christ, encounters Christ on the road to Damascus and becomes Paul. Not because he deserved it, but because God chose to transform Saul into Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who's played a significant role in the spreading of God's kingdom and likely the fact that we're here now. Is down to works that he undertook in his life. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. 
This is saving grace we're talking about here. Not just common grace, which is there, open to all, as all the way, but saving grace, which again is open to all, but not all have embraced it yet. It's not something we can earn. It is a free gift. I remember getting free gifts stuck to the front of magazines. Do you remember that? A free sample of shampoo. I'm still going to shops and shake magazines to get rid of all the rubbish in them before I buy them. But this is so much better than a, a free gift like that. This isn't just something small. This is everything. Nothing we can do in ourselves could win salvation for us. No act of kindness or generosity or self-sacrifice. Not It would make an iota of difference. We lived our lives doing those things from morning till, till the time we went to bed. It wouldn't make any more of a difference in terms of winning salvation. Grace offers us freely salvation, which we must receive in faith. When God offers the gift, we have to take it and receive it and embrace it. Not all people have done that, but we pray that all people will. I like a bit of etymology. Do you know what etymology is? Don't get confused with entomology. I'm not going to talk about moths and butterflies. Etymology is where words come from and their meanings. And Paul uses, when he's talking about this saving grace of God, two very specific ideas. There are others as well he uses, but these are really good ones. The first one is justification. We are justified through Christ. It's a legal term. To be justified means to be declared innocent. Through Christ, though we have sinned, God extends to us his salvation in declaring us. He shares with us his holiness and perfection. He declares us as sinless. It's just as if I'd never sinned, is the way it used to be said. It's the complete opposite of being condemned. Christ paid the price to free us from the curse that the law of Moses' teaching bring by becoming cursed for us, is a reading we find in Galatians 3. And that is paying the price is another way that we receive salvation. The word redemption. Redemption, as Paul uses it, refers to being set free from the control of a tyrannical master. Somebody who we are slaves to, who is of no good to us and does us no good. In verse 2 of our reading, he refers to this master, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work in those who are disobedient. We all know the name. We use the name Satan, don't we? we? We use the term evil. And by payment, somebody could free another from slavery and therefore they became enslaved to that person. Christ has paid the price through grace, bought us from sin and death to be part of God's loving care. We become slaves to Christ. 
and that's freedom with a purpose. There is no point in being set free from one thing if you are not then given something to replace it. It's like sucking the air out of a bottle. The minute you stop, something will come in and replace it. The air will come back, you'll be back in the same condition. You have to put something in its place. I said this to my nephew yesterday. It's a bit like if you imagine a prison in the middle of a vast desert, a barren wasteland, and there's a prisoner released from the prison, and the door's shut behind him. What good is that freedom to him now? There's nothing there for him. So our freedom is bought from the slavery to sin and death into the loving care and service and purposes of God. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In order that he might share with us eternity, a huge gift of grace. When I was at school, I think my teachers thought I was amazing. In the first year of my sixth form, they presented me with a badge which said perfect. (laughs) Never one for spelling. It actually said prefect, because I'm far from perfect. But if we're under grace, we're freed from sin and death. So why do we remain so far from perfect? Because God's gift of grace isn't a one-off event. We are already in the grace of God. We are already declared sinless. The price has been paid and we have been brought to his loving service. But there's also a not yet part. An ongoing pouring out of God's grace. That he might transform us through that grace, to be Christ-like. And just as we accept with faith the gift of saving grace, so must we every day accept with faith and submit to the transforming grace of God in our lives. As he continues his work in us, we're all works in progress. And that is our responsibility, to accept that transformation. We could, of course, as Paul does, talks about in um, another of his letters, in other places, use grace as an excuse for sinning. Knowing that God will forgive our sins, we could carry on in a blasé way, sinning to our heart's content and then say sorry. Could do. Paul's very anti that idea. As I said before, it's not about making God have to give out more grace by sinning. It's about allowing God to transform us and our lives so that we don't rely on that grace in the same way. I sometimes look at pictures on Facebook, which is now not the latest youth trend. Uh, The youth are using other... Do you know I'm getting old, if I can say the youth are? (laughs) 
The youth are using other means of communicating their ideas, but whatever they do, there's an awful lot of university students publishing pictures of themselves at rave parties with glasses of stuff in their hand, giving it some you know, real enthusiastic partying. All of my pictures at college had pictures of me in the chapel. And I sometimes have been tempted to think, God, I was a good boy at college. You owe me one. God owes us nothing. There should be no sense of entitlement or implied obligation to God to give us freely what he gives us. Grace is always a free gift, otherwise it ceases to be grace. God will never be in debt to us and will always be generous to us. We touched on it earlier when we were thinking about the apple tree. We also have to accept that God gives his gifts of grace in the way that he chooses to. Once on my sister's birthday, she was given a large box of biscuits by my grandfather, and I assumed, therefore, that they were for her to share freely with me. She ate the vast majority and gave me one or two. And I had to be content with that one or two, because I had no control over the box of biscuits. God's got far more than a box of biscuits to share with us, but it's still his Right, still God's right to decide who he gives what to, when and how much. And ours is not, as we heard, to be envious or think, oh, if only I could be like that person or this person. Ours is to accept what we're given and then to use it to God's glory. He equips us and he enables us to fulfil the things that he's called us to do. So he gives us ongoing resources, ongoing strength, ongoing encouragement to serve his will for us. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He knows what he's doing. He's planned what he has for us to do. And he equips us with generosity of giving to do that work. I don't know if you remember, but toilet rolls used to come in packets of two wrapped in paper. Do you remember that? They used to come in packets of two. And my mum would go shopping every day and come home with a packet of toilet rolls every other day or so. Now you can buy toilet rolls in packets of about 48. And I remember the first day that my father greeted my mother at the front door with the shopping. And she walked in with a 16-pack. And my dad said, we want to be careful, love. We could lull ourselves into a false sense of security and then on one horrible day discover that the inexhaustible supply that we were thinking was there has suddenly run out at a crucial moment. The resources that God has available to us will always be sufficient. They will always be there when we need them. They will never run out. But the wonderful thing I also love to remember is that God doesn't hold anything back. I've said this before from this position. He doesn't sprinkle little bits of blessing on us from his vast resource held in reserve. God 
in his outstretched arms on the cross gave us everything. But that everything never runs out. It never can be exhausted. We can't get our head around that because we're used to things running out. We're used to bottles of stuff. You know, we're used to the bottle of very fine uh, Scotch whiskey actually coming to an end. But that's not how it is with God. Now, we've got this message of grace. But it comes with all that good news and with a challenge. And that is that we must pass it on. We must continue to proclaim God's good news, God's gospel of grace. What if they don't want to hear it, though? It's a free gift. Not everyone wants the message of a free gift. What they want is to work and earn their own way. Abraham Lincoln, the president, once said... He declared a national day of fasting and prayer back in 1863, and he used these words, and I think it's great. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to God. That's back in 1863. And we look at the world now and we think, that's continues to be true and has always been true and there will always be those who don't want to hear but that's no excuse is it for not telling them not all will receive the gospel we proclaim not all will want that free gift of grace but it's ours to make it known and the other challenge of grace goes with the question that's often been asked If you were arrested today and held on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? (laughs) And that's the, are we, as well as proclaiming the grace of God that we've accepted, are we also allowing God to continue to work his work of grace in us? That's the challenge for today. Good news and the challenge. And now to him who's able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.